Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. I wanted to let you guys know, whether you're watching or listening, that I'm recording this right now in mid-April, and spring has kicked in here in Birmingham, Alabama, and for some reason, I seem to have adult-onset allergies. So I deeply apologize if I sound hoarse or if I cough. I'm trying to edit the coughs out, but um, the pollen is everywhere, man. It's just killing me, and antihistamines and neti pot are not really working. So I do apologize. I will do the best I can. Let's get going. Days six and seven, Monday and Tuesday, May 21st through the 22nd, 2001. Killer sheep are a very terrifying subject. Not only are they bald and extremely angry, they are armed and ready to kill. The first clan of killer sheep were created to seek revenge on the Vikings by a pissed-off Celtic shepherd. He taught the sheep how to decapitate, torture, verbally assault. Yes, verbal means they can speak too, and for some odd reason, tickle. The population of killer sheep live mostly in Northern Ireland and the southern parts of the United Kingdom. They are very angry little animals with no patience and have been known to be very stubborn. Excerpt from Adrian's Killer Sheep short story. Adrian made her first trip to Los Angeles during the summer of 1992. Although we did go to typical tourist destinations such as Disneyland, SeaWorld, and the Los Angeles Zoo, we also spent a lot of time on the campus of the University of Southern California, USC. As an undergraduate, I worked at the university bookstore, and Adrian came to work with me for several days. She chatted with my co-workers, drew pictures in my boss's office, and ate too much cookie dough out of the freezer. We walked around the campus on my lunch hour as I pointed out specific buildings and talked about the classes I had in them. I didn't realize at that time what an impact those lunchtime hours had on her. When she started first grade in the fall, Adrian had one long-term goal to go to college. Now that I have accepted that I cannot work while Adrian is sick, I make some necessary phone calls. I call Luther Burbank Middle School to let them know I will be out for the rest of the school year. I call the Burbank Unified District Office and turn down a long-term substitute assignment to teach eighth grade English in the fall. Miller Elementary, located in Compton, has offered me a permanent position teaching fourth grade. I call and turn down that offer too. For three years, I have worked as a substitute teacher, only taking daily assignments because I needed the flexibility to pursue acting. Last month, I made the decision to find a permanent job because I wanted to become financially stable and give Adrian a better life. My acting career be damned. As I hang up the phone, I feel a sense of relief and dread. 
I don't have to teach now, but I don't have any income either. My last call is to Rick Carlton, Adrian's guidance counselor at the high school. We met for the first time three weeks ago to discuss getting high school credit for university classes, the possibility of Adrian graduating early, and her future college prospects. The meeting was Adrian's idea. At her middle school graduation last year, Adrian was one of only three students to win a creative writing scholarship to UCLA. She was furious about attending school during the summer, saying, you mean I'm being punished for being smart? When that argument didn't work, she claimed going to UCLA made her feel like a traitor to USC. Despite her lousy attitude, I made her attend the class. She earned an A. During the meeting, Mr. Carlton said Adrian would get credit for attending summer classes at UCLA. Armed with that information, I asked Adrian if she wanted to take another class this summer. She selected a computer class and we enrolled her last week. I make a mental note to cancel that class as I dial the number to Burbank High. Mr. Carlton, who asks I call him Rick, is a kind, sympathetic man. He decides to meet with Adrian's teachers to determine what she needs to do in order to finish the school year. In the meantime, he needs a letter from her doctor and Adrian has to continue to do her homework. We agree to talk again later this week. I ask Dr. Christina for the letter regarding school and she writes one right away. It reads, To whom it may concern, please be advised that Emma, Adrian, Wilson, is currently an inpatient at CHLA with no current plans for discharge in the immediate future. It is likely that Adrian will be unable to complete this school year secondary to her medical condition. I read the same line three times. No current plans for discharge in the immediate future. It sounds ominous, like a jail sentence. How much time you got? Three years? Robbed a bank? No bullets in the gun, though. How about you? Oh, I have cancer. I'm in for life. When Dr. No asks us to join him in the consultation room, I know he must have the results of the pathology report. John and I walk into the room with our now favorite nurse, Ronnie, right behind us. The theme is meant to soothe. There are two impressionist prints with blue and yellow flowers, blue chairs, a table, and a couch. The small TV, VCR, dry erase board, and boxes of tissues are reminders that parents are brought in here to learn about their child's illness and to hear the prognosis. Even though I am ready to hear the words liver cancer, I still break down when Dr. No confirms our worst fears. Your sister has hepatocellular carcinoma, HCC. Praying for ovarian cancer didn't do a damn bit of good. Before the good doctor can put a timeline on Adrian's life, I interrupt him. I don't want to hear numbers. No numbers. Just tell us what it is and what we have to do. Don't you dare predict anything. No numbers. I watch his face digest my request. He already had a number in mind, but he respects my wish and does not say it. I grab the first of many Kleenexes and blow my nose. Then John begins asking a barrage of questions. What other evidence do you have besides the pathology report that Adrian has HCC? With a poker face, Dr. No replies, although her liver is functioning normally, her liver enzymes are elevated, which indicates stress on the liver. Undeterred, John continues. 
What is her AFP? 1.4 million. I know that number is high, but I cannot remember what the normal level of AFP should be. I want to ask, but when I open my mouth, no words come out. Instead, I taste the salt from my tears. Looking at his notes, John asks, does Adrian have fibrolamellar HCC? No. Given my inability to speak, I like that John has taken charge. He keeps hammering Dr. No with questions. I read that well-differentiated tumor cells are good candidates for liver transplants. Her tumors are poorly differentiated. More bad news. My ears tickle and my face heats up as another wave of tears rush down my cheeks. I need more Kleenex. Is a liver transplant an option? No. Since the cancer is already metastasized to her lungs, a liver transplant isn't practical. It won't solve the problem. Isn't practical? Won't solve the problem? Will anything fucking solve the problem? I blow my nose again. And so it goes back and forth, a ping pong match between the knowledgeable skilled doctor and the newly educated parents, except I'm not helping John. I take a breath, find my voice and jump in. So it's two against one. I ask, how many cases of HCC have you treated? Six. What happened? Please say one of them made it. They didn't make it. Wrong answer. I reach for another Kleenex. I look at John and admire his dry face. Thank God only one of us is a basket case. John asks, can Adrian be around her pets? She has a cat and a hamster. Yes, but I don't recommend getting any new animals at this time. Also, she must not feed or clean up after the animals, and she must wash her hands after petting them. Then I remember something I wanted to know. What are the shoulder and back pain coming from? There is a major nerve that runs from the liver to your right shoulder. Your sister never had a shoulder injury. She felt referred pain from her liver. Her back is hurting because her spleen is enlarged. Oh. I think things cannot get worse. I'm wrong. Dr. No adds, the bone scan indicated a small mass on the back of your sister's neck. It could be another tumor. I'm ordering a CAT scan of her brain tomorrow to eliminate the possibility of any tumors in that location. I squeeze the numerous used tissues in my hand. I would make a fantastic sad clown right now with my wet face and red nose. I hesitate before asking my last question. Don't you have any good news? Dr. No looks at me. I study his eyes and I see nothing. No hope, no sympathy, no pity. He seems so detached from our situation. He answers with one word, no. Of course not. After giving us Adrian's poor prognosis, Dr. No launches into the quality of life speech. Quality of life, yet another class taught in medical school. He says she can start chemotherapy immediately, but we need to consider Adrian's quality of life. Since she still feels good, now would be 
time to do fun things like go to Hawaii. I look at him. I want to yell at him. Go to Hawaii now? Why? Because she won't be able to later? And why Hawaii? With what money? Do you want to pay for it? If you took the time to get to know your patient's asshole, you would know Adrian wants to go to Ireland. I hate this doctor. I hate his cold and personal manner. I hate that he suggests we give up and go on a trip instead. I hate that he can't fix this cancer. Most of all, I hate that during this entire conversation, he refused to say Adrian's name. With the quality of life speech out of the way, Dr. No gets down to business and discusses his treatment plan for Adrian. The chemotherapy will be difficult. There is no guarantee it will work. The first course will be a combination of adriamycin and cisplatinum, two drugs that have shrunk tumors in some HCC patients. The side effects are severe. Adriamycin can cause serious heart damage, and cisplatinum can cause total hearing loss. Both drugs will knock out Adrian's immune system. Due to the drug's negative side effects, Dr. No will only do a maximum of eight chemotherapy sessions at three to four week intervals. I cannot stop myself from calculating the numbers in my head. Eight times three, eight times four, equals 24 to 32 weeks. Only six to eight months. There it is. The dreaded number at best. Adrian has six to eight months to live. I keep my head down as I blow my nose for the upteenth time. John asks for copies of Adrian's lab reports and information about the chemotherapy drugs. John and I are strong at different times. We may not be the best couple, but our parenting styles complement each other well. As Dr. No and John continue to talk, I think about Adrian's attitude. How she joked about it being cancer. How she brought up the subject of chemo before anyone else did. And how she manages to smile for every person who walks into her hospital room. My tears cease. I lift my head. I look Dr. No in the eye. You just don't know, Adrian. Not fighting is not an option. When Dr. No leaves, we don't go with him. The three of us, John, Ronnie, and I, sit in silence. Even though she must have sat in on dozens of conversations like this one, Ronnie's eyes are watering and her nose is sniffling. Ronnie tells us about her sister, Brittany, who was diagnosed with leukemia when she was Adrian's age. Both Ronnie and her mother are oncology nurses, but they couldn't hold it together when a doctor told them Brittany had a few months to live. Brittany refused to accept the diagnosis. She waited two years for the bone marrow transplant, BMT, that saved her life. Ever since Brittany got the BMT, her cancer has been in remission. Brittany's survival gives me a glimmer of hope. As we get up to leave the consultation room, Ronnie says one last thing. She and Brittany call each other sissy. We give Adrian the highlights of our conversation with Dr. No. Chemo will begin on Wednesday. It will last for three days. There are two drugs with many side effects and he will discuss the details with us tomorrow. We leave out the maximum of eight intervals and the suggested trip to Hawaii. 
Is omitting the whole truth the same as lying? Maybe. But under these circumstances, John and I don't see the point in conveying Dr. No's sense of hopelessness and doom. It will only anger Adrian and cause her to dislike him as much as John and I do. Every Monday, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., the PAUSE, Pets Assisting with Smiles program, visits the fourth floor at Children's Hospital. When asked if Adrian would like a visit, she responds with an enthusiastic yes. Bocce, a beautiful black lab, walks into Adrian's room with his tail wagging, a map hanging open, and a goofy grin. He obeys his trainer and jumps into the chair next to Adrian's bed. We don't have a dog at home, but Adrian loves all animals, except sheep. Ever since she wrote a short story about sheep, they have appeared everywhere. Films, commercials, billboards, stickers, CD covers. Adrian claims sheep are taking over the world. She makes me laugh with her outrageous theories. I watch her as she strokes Bocce's back. She smiles at the camera, mouth open, teeth showing. The volunteer writes, Bocce, 52101 on the Polaroid picture and hands it to Adrian. It will be one of the last photos of Adrian with her hair. A few hours later, Nadia walks in, sees Adrian for the first time, and bursts into tears. Adrian opens her arms to hug her, assuring her everything will be okay. I marvel at this interaction between two old friends, one sick, the other healthy, one strong, the other weak. Nadia apologizes for crying as Adrian consoles her. Her body may be failing her, but Adrian's inner strength displays itself time and time again. Where does her desire and ability to set people at ease come from? I wish I could take credit for this gift, but I can't. You can't teach someone to have grace under pressure, to be calm during a storm. Nadia is laughing now. Her tears gone. Adrian has worked her magic. When Adrian is napping and John is out of the room, I look at myself in the mirror above the sink next to her bed. To support Adrian during chemo, I thought I would shave my head. I take my long, straight, reddish blonde hair in my hands and sweep it off my face. I imagine myself without hair, but I have a big head and I don't think I would look attractive. Besides, my hair has always been my trademark, even if I'm not a natural redhead. I was born with blonde hair, but in various stages of childhood, it turned strawberry blonde, reddish brown, dark brown, and medium brown with blonde highlights. I dyed my hair red as a teenager, but now it turns strawberry blonde thanks to the California sun. I remember when Adrian was in first grade and one of her friends described my hair as gold. Anyway, I'm a Lucille Ball, Rita Hayworth redhead. It may not be entirely natural, but my hair is part of my identity. I drop my mane and peer at my reflection. I feel awful, but I don't want to cut, much less shave my hair. The class, a parent orientation, is usually held on Thursdays at 2 p.m., but it is moved to Tuesday at 10 a.m. because both Adrian and Whitney are about to start chemo. John and I meet Whitney's parents at the orientation. Like Adrian, Whitney is 15 years old, a freshman in high school, and has a boyfriend. Her cancer was discovered by accident when her vision started bothering her more than six weeks ago. Rhabdomyosarcoma is a soft tissue pediatric cancer with no known cause. It affects 500 to 700 children in the United States each year. 
different cancers, different backgrounds, but as parents, we share the same emotion, fear. The nurse begins the class. The ideal time to take this class is after you've discussed treatment options with your child's oncologist, but before your child starts treatment. Whitney's parents shake their heads. Whitney had surgery to remove the tumor from her face, but other treatment options have not been discussed yet. Waving off their concerns, the nurse hands each one of us a packet. Each page is divided into two columns. On the left, there are black squares with bullet points of information that, that coincide with the PowerPoint presentation. On the right, there are lines for taking notes. Some of the information doesn't apply because Adrian has few treatment options, but we do learn the lingo of cancer. Since chemotherapy affects the body's immune system, a nurse will come to our home twice a week to draw Adrian's blood in order to monitor her counts. The absolute neutrophil count, ANC, and the white blood cell count, WBC, are the best indication of how much the chemo has compromised the immune system, i.e. is the treatment doing more harm than good. An ANC below 1,000 is considered low. When, not if, it drops below 500, Neutropenic precautions, such as wearing a mask, must be taken in order to prevent the patient from getting an infection. Low hemoglobin indicates anemia. If the hemoglobin is 9 or below, a blood transfusion is usually necessary. Platelets help the blood clot. If they drop below 150,000, the patient is at risk for bleeding and bruising. Neupogen shots can increase the number of white blood cells in the patient's body. I will give Adrian a neupogen shot daily. If she goes outside, Adrienne must always wear sunscreen, hats with a brim, long pants, and long sleeve shirts since avoiding the sun is nearly impossible in Los Angeles. Adrienne cannot go to the dentist, receive vaccinations, play contact sports, or return to school during her treatment. While we are in class, Adrienne is prepped for a series of tests. The brain CAT scan will be followed by an echocardiogram and a hearing test to establish baselines. Dr. No needs something to compare to when and or if the chemotherapy causes heart damage or hearing loss. Since those events are uneventful, non-invasive, painless procedures, Adrian does not ask us about them. In less than a week, Adrian went from a test about the liver in biology class to test on her own organs. It's one thing to know what the liver does and how it functions. It's another thing when the function of your own liver is being tested. Whether you are taking them or they are being done to you, life is a series of tests. Only now, the stakes are much higher. Our friend Jonathan comes by to visit Adrian that afternoon. Jonathan plans to do meditative self-healing with Adrian. He brings six rocks, two hematites for energy, two types of quartz for healing, an amethyst for spiritual and psychic energy, and a cat's eye for grounding. While meditating, Adrian is to put all of the rocks in one hand except for the cat's eye, which goes in the other hand. She pulls positive energy from the five rocks and channels her negative energy into the grounding rock, which represents the earth. According to Jonathan, the goal is to give Adrian a sense of control. He believes attitude is everything. I am not sure that rocks have healing powers, but Jonathan's visit and meditation tutorial puts a smile on her face. It will be one of the only times he sees Adrian in the hospital. That evening, Dr. No, along with Ronnie, comes in to discuss the chemotherapy with Adrian. He explains the two drugs and how they will be administered. 
through her central line, Adrian will receive the first drug, cisplatinum, over a six-hour period followed by four hours of fluid to prevent kidney damage. Then the second drug, adriamycin, will be given over a four-hour period for three consecutive days. He says, you will experience nausea and vomiting. Adrian nods. All of your hair will fall out, he says. Adrian nods again. So far, Dr. No has not told Adrian anything she didn't expect. He seems perplexed by her casual reaction. Adrian makes him uncomfortable. If I could remove myself from the situation, I would be laughing right now. Adrian remains calm until Dr. No mentions that cisplatinum can cause hearing loss. Then she becomes unglued. First, there are tears. It is only the second time she has cried about her condition. Then she gets angry. She states she cannot, will not, lose her hearing. What about music? She asks Dr. No. He explains her hearing loss would be gradual. She would not wake up one day and be completely deaf. Ronnie makes it worse by assuring Adrian she can have a hearing aid, and although music would not sound the same, she would be able to hear people speak. They don't get it. She does not care about noises or speech. Not only is she an aficionado of music, but she is also a budding musician. Adrian looks at us with a determined gleam. I'd rather be dead than deaf. I want to strangle her. She'd rather be dead than deaf? Some people might think Adrian is a sick teenager who's thinking irrationally, but that's not true. She has her limits and she has drawn a firm line in the sand. I make her a promise. She has control over her treatment. If she experiences any hearing loss, we will stop the cisplatinum. Dr. No assures me there are other drugs besides cisplatinum, but it has the most promising results. Is he aware he gave me hope and then killed it in one simple statement? Despite his faults, Dr. No comes up with the perfect solution. He asks Adrian to sign the consent form, even though he doesn't need her signature. Like the meditation rocks, the pen gives her a sense of control. She is in charge, not Dr. No and not me. Satisfied with the outcome, Adrian signs the consent. Dr. No and I sign it too. Chemo will begin tomorrow morning. Because chemo damages the hair even before it falls out, Adrian decides to cut off all her hair that evening. We hope she might have enough hair to make into a wig. John runs to the local pharmacy to buy a razor kit while I get a Ziploc bag from the nurses. When I tell them about Adrian's plan, they love it as long as we clean up afterward, and we are careful not to cut Adrian's scalp. John cuts off large chunks of Adrian's blue-green hair. He leaves about two inches of hair on her head, which allows us to see the blonde from the original bleaching as well as her dark roots. She makes faces at me as I take multiple pictures with our camera. Then John uses the razor to create four mohawks on Adrian's head. I don't know whose idea it was to do a quad hawk, but it looks fabulous on Adrian. It turns out she has a perfectly round skull. With little hair left, Adrian's olive green eyes, prominent cheekbones, and engaging smile become the focus of her face. By cutting her hair before chemo could kill it off, Adrian has once again gained some control and she is more beautiful than ever. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. 
I apologize for my scraggly voice. I hope this pollen goes away soon. <laughs> Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode, which will air in two days. Thank you again. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>